This episode is dedicated to Sharon's dad, who sadly passed away from COVID after this episode was recorded. Sending love and strength to Sharon and her family. My name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. Hello and welcome to the show. I am feeling super excited today because I have got with me on Zoom the effervescent and utterly gorgeous Sharon Amesu. Now, Sharon and I are currently at Cambridge together and we are working on an executive coaching course with Cambridge. So I've been getting to know Sharon really, really well. Now, I love that on her website, she talks about encouraging leaders to be courageous and inclusive. So I'm looking forward to kind of digging into that and finding out more because Sharon is actually a leadership and inclusion strategist, but she's also a really inspirational speaker and she's a coach. There is nothing that this woman cannot do. Sharon, you are looking fabulous. How are you, you, my lovely? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Do you know what, Angela? It's an absolute pleasure and delight to be spending time with you. And I'm well, I'm really, really well. I'm getting to to have a chat with a friend. And so it's delightful. Thank you. It's great to be on your show. It's nice for us to be together and not to have all of the pressure of having to do our coaching, you know, all of the, (laughs) the kind of learning that we've been doing over the last few months. Absolutely. It's just a nice chat with a friend. I mean, it's a brilliant program, but it's a, it's an intense program and it's full on. For the last session, it was a full week, all day. And so it's nice just to be in a relaxed space and just reflecting on life. Absolutely. And you are in a beautiful space because you've just moved house and Indeed. you've got your office all set up. So it looks beautiful. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes, of course, because we're in the middle of a move in the last session and trying to organise everything. And there were boxes everywhere whilst doing this coaching. But we're getting there slowly but surely. Thank you. I mean, only you could, you know, go on a week long. Well, it wasn't residential. We were at home, but a week long course and move house in the same week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it was somewhat of a challenge. And it seems like madness with the benefit of hindsight. But it's great to be in in, in the space that we're in, especially under lockdown. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're really grateful, very grateful for the space. 
Now, on the podcast today, this is all about you, really, and getting to know you in more detail. So we always start the podcast with what I call the shake your pom-poms moment, because I have this belief that people, we don't spend enough time celebrating our successes and really thinking about what we've achieved. Because so often we're busy worrying and looking after everybody else around us. So this is your time to really dig in and share with us your three proudest moments, if you will. Wow. So it's interesting because as I reflect on that question, there's proudest moments. That's somewhat of a challenge, but there's, for me, there's also sort of proudest achievements as well. So as opposed to it just being a moment in time, there are also things that I'm, that I'm proud of in my life. I guess the, the one that I, that's most important to me is my children. I'm the proud mother of three children. And I'm, I'm grateful for just how grounded they are, how connected they are, the sense of purpose and direction that I have. It's incredibly difficult to be a parent. It's incredibly difficult to be a working mother and still be raising your children throughout. I've had my children from the very beginning of my career. And I'm just really proud of the adults, the conscientious young adults that they're growing up into who have a sense of social conscience as well and giving back and making a contribution. So I I guess my children really are perhaps my proudest achievement, the thing I'm most proud of. And you talk there about being able to balance motherhood with a career and you had uh, you know, a huge career and still do. So what are some of the the challenges, I suppose, that, that come up when you are trying to balance both worlds? The biggest thing I think for me was guilt, the guilt that I carried. It's the mum guilt mm-hmm. and the feeling of not being enough and not doing enough on either side. So not being a good enough mum, not being fully present, not being able to be at every single meeting or event, etc. Yeah. And it's that that mum guilt that sets in. But also the other side, the flip side of that is if I'm paying attention here at home and I'm I'm engaged in homework and I'm attending this meeting or I have to miss a meeting at work because it's parents evening, then it's how am I going to be perceived in the workplace? Am I going to be seen as a real player in the market, etc.? So it's that, it's the guilt either way, which I think was the most pervasive and the most prevailing challenge throughout and I'm not entirely sure that it's ever alleviated Angela (laughs) my my sense is that it ebbs and flows and and it has different gradients throughout one's career depending on of course the the place in the journey where where the children are but that I think has been the greatest challenge that mum guilt and how do you actually cope with that then what are some of the the things that you do to alleviate it I accept that it's a universal experience, first of all. I think there's something about not feeling alone in that. Sometimes things intensify and deepen in their impact when you feel that it's just you. But actually, it's knowing that it's a common experience for women who want to pursue their career as well as raise a family. So it's normalizing that experience and normalizing that are insights. 
I think as well, what's been incredibly powerful for me, which has really reinforced, affirmed, endorsed the choices that I made, is in particular my my daughter, who's my eldest, and she's 22. And I remember she was at the, the acute, sharp end of my career aspirations because I was pregnant with my daughter when I literally was in training as a barrister. So throughout my career, she's been in existence, as it were, and was very much at the sharp end of me being, it almost felt as though I was on call in many ways, but not quite. (laughs) Indeed it did. But she now is pursuing her own career at the bar. So my first career was as a criminal barrister. And she's pursuing her own career at practice at the bar. And the reassurance to me is if it was so hellish, her experience of mum doing this, then she wouldn't want to be pursuing it herself. And it's almost a reassurance to me that a lot of the guilt that I carried, I needn't have carried because they're actually okay. They're more resilient than we think they are. They're observing and learning and seeing that life can be fulfilling in more ways than one. And so that has been, in many ways, a reassurance, a confirmation that I then extend to the others. Oh, that is amazing to hear. And and that sense of you being a role model for her and the fact that she's following in your your footsteps, although that was your first career. That's amazing. Yeah. I feel super proud. I'm pleased for her. But I also feel it important because what sometimes happens with this choice that women often feel that they have to make. So it's either I'm in the home or I'm at work, don't do both. And sometimes as well, we as women can be critical of women who make either one of those choices. And so the role modeling could either have been me pursue my career or wanting to stay at home because they're both legitimate, depending on your, your season, the choices that you're in, etc. And so I felt it important for her to just see that I was living a life of choice that I had embraced and that that's okay. And if she chose a different path and that wasn't for her, then that would be okay as well. I think it was the the role modeling was very much about making empowered choice and living in your power, whatever that looked like. That is so powerful as a statement. So role modeling, empowered choice. Yeah. Oh, I've got goosebumps with that. One. That's amazing. <laughs> and what about the second proud achievement moment for you? So that would really be my career. I have been incredibly blessed, both my first career and my second career, but I'll focus first of all really on my first career because I am the, the child the grandchild of Windrush immigrants. So that's people who came from the West Indies during the 1940s and 50s. And, you know, they, they, my grandparents came into the UK with an expectation that they'll be able to create opportunity for themselves and for their family, didn't get the welcome that they'd hoped they would receive when they came and recognised that they'd really be starting at the very low end of the rung of the ladder, as it were. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful that I had parents who were very aspirational for us and very ambitious for us and drilled home early on the importance of education. And as a result of that, I was one of the first in my family to go to university. 
and ultimately enter a profession which continues to be an underrepresented sector in the workplace. And to have had a career for 16 years as a barrister, I feel, I feel was a real achievement against the odds in so many ways, both in terms of gender and race. But I feel very grateful and blessed that I had the opportunity to pursue that. And I can imagine that in that arena, which is a tough arena anyway, because you're talking about kind of the upper echelons of, you know, the educated people, number one. So there's a real competitive nature that I see in the legal profession with people that I work with. How do you fit into that, if at all? And and what are some of the challenges that you experienced as you built your career? Thanks for the question. It's very much, Angela, that you navigate through treacle levels of imposter syndrome. And that was it. I, I often regale the story of entering Middle Temple. So when you're a barrister, you're socialized into the life of being a barrister. And you join one of the four inns of court where you undertake various dinings and you sit and you, you eat four course meal. I think when I was joining the bar, being called to the bar, I think there were probably 24 dinners that I had to sit down and eat four course meals. And they were lovely. They were delicious. But I remember entering this incredible building, which dates back to, I believe it's the 15th century. And it's it's adorned with all sorts of historical pictures and artifacts and all sorts. And, and I walked in thinking, I don't belong here at all. And I remember just being surrounded by all of these knives and forks and thinking, all I need at home is a knife and a fork. What is all this about? Which and then the more, yeah, that's it. Where do you begin? And then they started talking, you know, about various coats of arms. I thought, what, what is a coat of arm? Don't all coats have arms? What is a coat of arm? And they're, they're literally strewn across the, the, the wall. It was alien to me. But what helped me to stay grounded and centered and rooted was a real sense of knowing why I was there. And it was this deep connection to purpose. So my choices in my career have been very vocational. I've had a sense of being called to something, to do something for purpose. And I knew that I was supposed to be there and all of that discomfort, all of that unrest, all of those insecurities that abounded, that they would have to take second place to the priority and the place of primacy of serving. And I knew that the purpose for me being there was to be a voice in the criminal justice system for those who had no voice. It was to speak up and be an advocate for those who were feeling oppressed by law enforcement, et cetera. So it was, it was staying grounded. It was staying rooted. It was knowing who I was. It was staying connected as well to community and family and not losing myself and my sense of self that really helped me. And, and, you know, it's not for me the notion that you get past imposter syndrome and you alleviate yourself of it altogether, I think, is an illusion in many ways. It's just about the strategies and tools that I use to once again ground myself and think, why am I here? What purpose am I serving here and connecting to that? 
So you've got that sense of purpose driving you. You've got the elements of self-doubt. You've got that feeling of not belonging. And when I think about that role that you used to play as a barrister, I always feel that it's a role where you're in a constant fight because it's you against somebody else and you have to kind of prove the points in order to win. And so there must have been days where that was, as you say, that treacle-like struggle. And while you've got purpose driving you, how else were you able to motivate yourself to keep getting up and brushing yourself down and going again? Yeah. I'm sure purpose is a driver, but there must have been other things too. Purpose was a huge one. I guess another one, which was very significant, very compelling, and very driving of my ambition and my aspiration was a strong connection to legacy. I perhaps talk later about a community that my daughter and I are building, which is supporting black female professionals. But one of the things that underpins She Leads for Legacy, which is that community, is this understanding that the decisions that we make, the choices that we make, the mountains we climb, or don't climb, the hills that we climb or not, the valleys we go through or not, all of that is connected to a bigger story. And I knew that, I knew early on, I got, I got really connected to this understanding very, very early on, that the choices that I make will impact the next generation. I got connected to legacy early on. And in fact, I think perhaps the start point was, as I said earlier, I was pregnant with my daughter when I started my training. That's a long story in itself as to what happened there. But I knew that it was important for me to be bold. And I had this ever-present consciousness, like I'd conscientized myself to this understanding that I want to be able to live the life that I would encourage her to live. So when she comes up against the stumbling blocks and the obstacles and the naysayers and the self-doubt, I want to be able to convey the message to her that I have lived. So I'm authentic in my encouragement to her to say, whatever Goliaths come your way, you can slay them. I want to live that. Otherwise, there'll be within myself a dissonance, a sense of hypocrisy where I'm saying, you go do it, but I'll stay here. And, you know, just inauthentic. I wanted to be authentic. And so understanding that early on, Angela, and, and saying, when these challenges come, and I, I had no idea that she'd pursue a career at the bar, but I did know that she would live and she would face challenges and there would be life's interruptions. I knew that there would be obstacles, that just living and being around people would mean that there were things sometimes that intimidated you and caused you to be afraid. And I wanted to be able to live the example to her and say, whatever comes your way, you can overcome that. You can deal with that challenge. And so that was very, this notion of of legacy was a real driver as well. And that, I guess, is, you know, that word we used at the beginning around courageous and inclusive that's where the courage is coming isn't yeah. it to oh absolutely face into fears and and do it anyway yeah absolutely the, the notion that we will be void of fearful stuff the idea that we won't in our life face giants is you know ridiculous 
really, that actually that's that's life. But courage is about saying, even though I face this challenge, even though it's scary, no matter what, notwithstanding that, I've got what it takes to go, go after that. Yes, I've got what it takes to go after that. And that is exactly what you do. And I see you do this all the time. And let's just pause here and talk about She Leads with Legacy, because it's something that you've launched relatively recently. And I remember seeing it and just feeling heartwarmingly, oh, because you're doing it with your daughter. I just think it's brilliant. And it's very much she's kind of driving this as well. It's been her brainchild. So talk to me a little bit about this. Yeah, we're just we're we're really excited about this opportunity to support and embrace and enable. She Leads for Legacy was born out of conversations that my daughter and I have had about our own experiences, making our way in our profession, and also that of her peers and my own peers. And She Leads for Legacy is very much what it says on the tin, that we, in our choices, to step up into leadership, We do so not just for ourselves, but we do so for those who are coming behind us. And it was that consciousness that that I certainly had in my own career of knowing that my decisions had a a wider impact that was fundamental to this. But also recognizing that it's, it's necessary, it's essential, it's vital right now, Angela, for us to see change in the areas where there has been a stagnancy for so long. Mm. And there are huge issues as far as underrepresentation is concerned, both in terms of gender and in terms of race. And what we recognized is that there is a, a double jeopardy, as it were, for black women, because we have the challenge of both gender and race. And we recognize together that rather than us bleating from the corner and having our daily conversations about the the inequalities and the unfairness, that we would embrace the the Mahatma Gandhi, I believe it is, and be the change that you want to see in the world. And that we would step into that space together, holding hands and leaping into the unknown, as it were, because there is a cause. And we knew that there were so many other people who are experiencing this sense of isolation, ceilings to their career progression, women who knew that they were filled with possibility and potential, but just weren't breaking through. And that that wasn't about ability. That wasn't about capability. That wasn't about ambition. That was about systems being in place that oppressed and suppressed absolutely and so what we decided to do is curate this community the beauty of this community though though Angela I believe is this the focus of the community is to accelerate the progression of black female leaders into senior leadership positions and board level roles but what we saw was that the need for us to change this is great, one, and two, that it's not something that we can do in isolation or from the fringes, as it were, just shouting from the sidelines. The the way in which we bring about change and the way in which change 
has always come about is through collaboration. Mm. It's through parties who are able to make the change, who have the seat at the table, who have the keys to unlock things, to come together with those who are in need of the change and bring their collective voices together. So She Leads for Legacy works with Black female leaders as well as allies, champions, leaders in organizations who want to bring about change, who want to embrace the diversity agenda, but but don't know necessarily how to do so. They want to understand some more. They're concerned about the issue and they're frustrated about underrepresentation and lack of progress, but it's the next steps. What do I do with the frustration? What do I do with with this sense of, of inaction and paralysis? And the community is designed to bring those two together and broker conversations and enable progress. And I have absolutely no doubt that you will make that happen because of the way that you you were able to just hook into the things that matter and get people to feel passionate about it. You know, I feel this sense of momentum just in our conversation today. So I have no doubt that you'll be successful. And one of the questions in my mind at the moment, based on the fact that your daughter is following in in your footsteps, is this idea of understanding, has the legal profession moved forward since, you know, the time when you were working in it? Or is your daughter still experiencing the same challenges that you did? Has there been any progression? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We're sort of caught between the what is and and the aspiration and the hope. So there has been progression, for sure. There is more representation now than there was 20 plus years ago when I was at the bar. I was the first black woman to enter the set of chambers that that I entered into. There are more have joined since then. So there's no doubt that there is progression and that ought to be acknowledged. It's not, it's not all awful. I think it's really important to to posit that there has been progress. The issue is that the scale and the pace of progress is woefully inadequate Mm -hmm. and that there are still the issues that are extant that should no longer be in existence. And so, for example, just one example, there's a young female barrister called Alexandra Wilson, and she She's an Oxbridge-educated barrister. She's achieved a number of scholarships. She's recently written and published a book, which is incredibly successful. She's raising her visibility and her profile as a leading lawyer. And she relayed just a matter of months ago that she attended court recently. And when she attended court on three separate occasions, now bear in mind that she was dressed in her attire, like her white counterparts. But when she entered into the courtroom on three separate occasions, she was mistaken for a defendant. And the assumption was made that she was a defendant, not a default, that she could actually be counsel in that position. Now, one might say, well, you know, once she corrected the impression that those who'd mistaken her identity and her purpose for being there, well, they would they would now know and they would treat her different, but it, it, differently. But it, it's it's not that simple. It's much more complex and nuanced and layered than that. 
Because if you have a perception about some, someone and you hold that perception about who they are, then your, your baseline for whether or not they are competent and capable and they are able to really be a, a, an advocate in that space, your baseline for them is much further back than it is for their white counterparts. In other words, they're going to have to prove themselves. They're going to have to impress you more and persuade you more vehemently than their their counterparts. So they're starting on the back foot. Now, my daughter is clearly aware of that situation. She knows that a couple of years hence, that will be her in that situation. And it's not uncommon. What was interesting, Angela, is that when Alexandra shared that story, so many other members of the bar who are from Black and Asian backgrounds, in particular from from Black backgrounds, came forward and explained that they had experienced precisely the same thing. Well, and then one comment that was made, because this largely played out on Twitter, one comment that was made by uh, someone who was well-meaning and intending to support, they said, Alexandra, you're doing a great job. And this is sometimes what happens when you're pioneering. You're pioneering into new space. And I, I said, she's not pioneering. She's not entering new space. There's been black barristers around for a long time. It's, it's not, this is not alien where you're just wondering who are these strange creatures who enter into the courtroom and don't look like us. She's not pioneering something in that sense. I mean, she's brilliant. That's not what I'm saying. My point is that this is a profession that has been seeing people from different backgrounds for some time. It's high time that those issues around those sorts of assumptions are not made. And it's interesting that in that particular situation, it was one of those people who made that assumption was a court clerk who is influential in the courtroom, making that assumption. That would not have been the first time that she'd have seen or he would have seen a black barrister. And do you believe that it's education that helps to turn around these biases or is conditioning something that can't be overturned. So if that clerk holds that opinion, could it be undone? Yeah. I think one of the the brilliant things about the work that we do, Angela, is is about transformation. It's about believing in the potential of people to change, to grow, to evolve, to the extent that they are willing to do so. So this is very much a hearts and minds thing, and education plays a key part of that. I just recently actually had an interesting conversation. It's a moot point that I won't, I won't necessarily go down the route of what education, simply saying go and educate yourself, means and how that plays out. But what I do believe is that education does play an important part and that we, those, those people who do fall Victims, not the word that I'm looking for necessarily, but are, but are impacted by the negative associations and the biases that play out in those spaces, that we also can help with those conversations and help people to see the other perspective. But it very much is a hearts and minds issue that we have to be very much seeing. I, I encourage allies, those who really want to drive change on this agenda, 
to put their heart into it because you can receive lots of education. You can read lots of resources, but if in fact you don't want the status quo to change, or in fact you think, you know, yeah, it'd be nice, but it's not that important. If your heart is not in it, it doesn't matter how much education you receive, there won't be a shift. But when the, the, the sort of the combination, the coalescing of both the education and the intent there you have a perfect marriage oh I love that perfect marriage education and intent combined and I think that word intent is an interesting word in terms of understanding because you said somebody well-meaning you know said something but perhaps said the wrong thing but also understanding that positive intent behind people's actions because I know I you know I say the wrong thing so many times but my intent is always you know, a genuinely positive one. So I always feel that that needs to be part of the conversation too, to understand where somebody's coming from. I agree. So, oh God, I mean, we could talk about that subject for, for all afternoon, but we need to hear your third proud moment, which you might have already covered off, but let's just check it. It's sort of a blend, really. There are, there are a number. So I'm going to drop one in but not elaborate on it too much. You can have four. Go for okay. it. Okay. <laughs> so, thank you very much. Well, well, one is my marriage, actually. So I've been married to my husband now for over 25 years. And I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that we are together and we are each other's greatest champions. And in in a time and in an age where relationships often come under great strain and stress and don't make don't don't make the journey, as it were. I'm really proud of the fact that we are strong friends who have each other's back, who believe in each other's potential, who are cheerleaders for each other. And to be able to hold a relationship in that way, I feel very proud of because it, it, it just speaks to me of, of being able to build strong relationships. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. What does he do? He's, he works in property. So he does property development and property consulting, completely different from law. And that's a, that's a great thing. I think it's a great thing. But it's, it's great to have a lifelong friend. So I'm very grateful for that. So that's my third. My fourth is really about transition. And it relates to my career. I'm proud of the fact that I've transitioned from one career into another. And it may, may seem otherwise insignificant, but it's a huge thing because I know for, for perfectly good reason many people just get stuck in their career. And I remember there was a point at which I felt, though knowing that my my time and my period within the legal profession had come to an end, that I felt as though I may just stay there. And I may just stay there for a number of reasons. One of those was around identity, actually, Angela, because the profession is, is clearly such a lauded one. And it's so esteemed that I, I, be, I began to wrestle with the question of when people ask me what I do, what will I say? Because at the time I was exploring coaching, 
And, you know, coaching often gets a, a bad name. When you describe yourself, for example, as I, as I was at that point, I've moved into a number of different areas, including consulting and executive coaching. But at the time, early on in my, my transition away, I was focusing on life coaching, which often gets a really bad name. We've had this comment, yeah. And so I thought, what, what will I do? When people ask me, who, what do you do? How can I explain, oh, I'm a life coach? And then explain, well, yeah, I'm new to this profession. And then the conversation would go on, what were you doing before? And I would say, a barrister. And they'll go, you were a barrister. And now you're a life coach. <laughs> and, and so there was a whole issue around identity for some time that I had to wrestle with, really wrestle with. But I'm grateful, I'm proud of the fact that I was able to step into the unknown and push past the fear, push past the security blanket, let go of the sides in the stream, as it were, and just leap in. And it's been a challenge. It's been, there's been rocky times, as you can imagine. But I'm really, really proud of the fact that I followed my heart and made another empowered choice. And, you know, listening to you, I can totally relate because it is that there's almost like the validation piece that comes with a super successful career. And I remember when I made the transition, you know, going from describing yourself as an exec director to a life coach. It's that kind of, I've lost all of my status you know, how are people going to perceive that? But how do I perceive that as well? Is that lesser than? But interestingly, and I'm, I'm, I guess you'll feel like this as well, when you think about that sense of purpose, I feel as a life coach and an exec coach that I've done my greatest work over the last yeah. three years, yeah. you know, compared with what's gone before. So it's not about the title, is it? It's about what you do and how you show up. Definitely. And I think that the thing for me as well is, the the fact that I am the same person my work it's interesting because people often say that's a massive career change isn't it and in some ways it is because they are different professions but I'm the common denominator and it's about people and it's just about how can I help to make people's lives better than they are that's it. And so it's a, it manifests itself in different ways. You know, I, I find that I'm rewarded. I'm fulfilled by this. I find myself growing and emerging and evolving as I'm coaching and enabling others. Yeah. I find myself in my consultancy work in leadership and diversity and inclusion, learning and growing as I hear other people's experiences. It's such a fulfilling, really fulfilling career. But I'm also grateful for my time at the bar. I'm grateful that I was able to to pursue a career that enabled people to walk through a door, a court door free when they may have well spent some time in, in prison. I'm grateful for the time that I was able to be an advocate in domestic abuse cases where women were in really oppressive situations and horrible circumstances. I'm really grateful that I was able to contribute in some way to helping to make someone's life better. And I mean, you know, that's a really small statement at one level, contribute in some way, but the difference that you've made 
to so many people's lives. Yeah, you couldn't even measure it. It's it's enormous. You can't really measure freedom and the feeling that freedom gives you. Yeah, I'm blessed and grateful. And you deliver freedom now in a different way. It's kind of freedom from yourself and all of your constraints. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting you should say that, you know, Angela, because I remember uh, for some time I was delivering programs in a, a local women's prison. And I remember speaking on this particular program and there was a woman in there who in when you're delivering programs, when you go in to do work, you certainly don't explore with with the women in there what their offense is. It's just not appropriate, nor is it necessary. On this particular program, at the end of a program, one of the women came to speak to me and she was relaying how she was looking forward to seeing her grandchild. Her grandchild would be coming in to visit. The grandchild was born while she was in prison and she was really excited. And I was struck by how animated she was. And she spoke in a way which gave me the sense that not too long from that point, she'd be heading home. She'd be spending time with the family. And so as she talked, she was talking about her time, etc. And I said, oh, well, how long have you got, got left? And she said, oh, no, I'm a lifer. And I remember thinking, wow. So the way in which your perspective on the world, your sense of hope and expectation is so much deeper than people I've seen who have everything to live for, who aren't incarcerated. And it's almost as though there's there's a distinction between liberty and freedom. So you can take someone's liberty, that is, you can constrain them in a place, you can restrict their movement, but freedom is within. Yeah. It's something you decide that you've got. And it, that's almost linked to that Stockdale paradox of always yes. having the faith. Yeah. I love that. So freedom is within. We should take that as our kind of big takeaway from, yeah. from this session today. And I've got a killer question for you now. Okay. And I can't wait to see what what your take on this is going to be, because there is no doubt that you are successful. You know, everything that you've talked about today defines that. But I want to understand from you what you believe the ultimate secret to success is. I reflected on this. And one... I guess there's work that I still need to do with myself, Angela, because accepting that I am successful, it, it's still a, a challenge because I know there's still so much more that I want to achieve. But of course, it is about celebrating the now and being present in the now and acknowledging the thus far. That's what we tell everyone else. <laughs> oh, we do. Because we're coaches. Indeed. <laughs> and we're authentic, so we believe it too. I, I believe that it's an old adage, actually. Sometimes just the simplest, oldest adages are the ones that are that stand the test of time. For me, there are two really. One is my faith. So I I have a strong, grounded faith. I'm a Christian. And that has been such a foundation for me to stay connected to purpose. The secret, one of the secrets for me to my success is knowing that there's someone greater than me 
and there is a purpose greater than me. And it, it offers me hope, hope that when there are dark times, when there are challenges, that I have hope and that a new day will dawn. Yeah. And so I, I feel that actually that's really it. I think in many ways it's my faith that is, is ultimately my big secret to success. The other is staying connected to cheerleaders. I'm surrounded by incredible people who believe in me, even when, and especially when I don't believe in myself. And those moments come. They come for most of us, if not all of us. Those times when you're inhabiting doubts, you've got a vision, you've got a dream, you've got an ambition, but it's slow in coming. And you start to doubt whether or not you can actually do this. Do you have what it takes? And then your cheerleaders come alongside you and they remind you of who you are and your potential. And so surrounding myself with cheerleaders, I believe, has been fundamental for me in achieving what I've achieved thus far. No, I love that. And and I've got to add one in as well. For the secrets to your success has to be your dad and all of his words of wisdom, many of which you've shared with me. And they personally helped me as well. So, you know, having him yeah. giving you all of those, those wise words along the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, he was incredibly inspirational to me and continues to be. He's big in stature, big in charisma and, <laughs> and presence. He's, he's, he's quite, quite a, a strong character. But what I noticed most about him, which is being very instructive for me, is his fearlessness. Once he had a conviction about something, then it wouldn't matter who he was facing, who the opponent was, what, whatever status they had, he wouldn't be intimidated by it. He had a strong sense of knowing who he was and would not be intimidated. And that has that stayed with me. I, I think I shared with you as well, Angela, about one of his saying, which is bend your mind to the condition. Yeah. And that that is essentially. Things will happen in life that aren't according to plan. Things will happen in life that, you know, upset the apple cart, that disrupt us, that throw us off track. We have a choice every single time in that moment, whether we yield, we surrender and we submit and we give up or we bend our mind that this is the situation. How do I work my way through this? How do I make something of myself in this? How do I bounce back even better? Bending your mind to the condition is, is one of the sayings that he shared with, with us growing up. And that's the one that you shared with me that just kind of, oh, just spoke to my heart in that very moment. So I am grateful to your dad too. <laughs> I shall pass it on. Do you know what, Sharon? I mean, this conversation feels like it's gone by in two minutes. Yeah. What I've gleaned from this, and I knew this already, of course, but the listeners didn't, is that you are absolutely a woman of purpose, a woman of faith, a woman of integrity in every single thing that you do, and indeed a woman of legacy. I think you're an absolute inspiration. So thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you so, so much. It's been a privilege. It's been an honor. And I look forward 
to us flipping this, Angela, because you are an incredible human being. I think I've described you like that several ways on several platforms, if I'm not mistaken. And so I'm very much looking forward to us having the conversation in the reverse because you are a, a special person, really special. Oh, mutual appreciation. <laughs> Join the society. Enjoy the rest of your day. And I look forward to supporting you in everything that you do and seeing you again in Cambridge, hopefully. Yes, I know, in person. That would be marvellous. Thank you so, so much. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.